0: Good morning. In today's headlines, Gaza's only power plant shuts down and fuel supplies for generators are dwindling. Meanwhile, Secretary of State Antony Blinken touched down in Israel. The conflict between Israel and Hamas is taking a toll on civilians, with Hamas hiding under civilian buildings. We have the latest updates.
1: As another aircraft carrier heads to the Mediterranean, President Biden has some stern words for Iran and an Iranian-backed militia threatens assaults on U.S. military bases. We have the details.
0: What is China's interest in the Middle East? We speak with an expert to uncover the true relationship between China and Palestine.
1: House Republicans select a nominee for speaker, but does House Majority Leader Steve Scalise have enough support to win the gavel? NTD spoke with GOP representatives for Outlooks on the floor vote.
0: New developments in the House probe into President Biden's handling of classified documents. The House Oversight Committee turns to the White House for answers.
1: The Fed just released the details of their September policy meeting. We take a closer look at the possibility of more interest rate hikes. Good morning and welcome to NTD. I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning, I'm Evelyn Lee. Today is Thursday, October 12th.
1: Yes, and as the war drags on, the State Department was actually saying that there are between 500 and 600 Americans still in Gaza.
0: Right, and yet there's still uh, talks going on between Egypt and Israel to actually create this safe passageway to uh, let civilians leave the Gaza Strip.
1: Right. Yeah, that was a priority that the State Department laid out, that it was going to talk with their Israeli counterparts to make sure that those civilians can get out. So hopefully those Americans and other civilians can have safe passage.
0: Right. But our top news today is some of the latest developments in the war in Israel, where in a couple of days it'll be a week since Hamas terrorists shocked the world with a murderous rampage.
1: U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken landed in Tel Aviv today. He will meet with Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, President Isaac Herzog, and other officials. He's also scheduled to meet with Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, leader of the Palestinian Authority in the West Bank.
0: The IDF says Israel is conducting a large-scale strike today on Hamas targets in Gaza, this as the conflict enters a sixth day.
1: The conflict between Israel and Hamas is taking a toll on civilians as Hamas employs them as shields on the Gaza side. Entities Jason Perry has more on the conflict in the Middle East, and a caution to viewers, the following footage may be disturbing for some.
2: Day five of the war between Israel and the Hamas terrorist group, and there are no signs of things slowing down. On Wednesday, residents in Gaza were seen carrying children to nearby ambulances following an apparent airstrike. And amidst the chaos, this father tried to comfort his daughter.
3: Don't be scared, don't be scared.
2: The death toll has soared on both sides, with Israel's military reporting over 1,200 fatalities. Most of these deaths occurred in a surprise attack at a music festival, where Hamas terrorists killed hundreds of people, sparking the war. On the other hand, over 1,050 Palestinians have been killed in Israeli retaliatory airstrikes, according to Palestinian officials. Israeli volunteers prepared wreaths for the funerals.
4: The least least we can do is uh, do something like this.
2: The Israeli military released a video on Wednesday saying it shows airstrikes on Hamas targets in Gaza from land, air and sea. A spokesperson for the Israeli Defense Forces said Hamas uses civilians as shields. What I want to tell you is that no that isn't a civilian building. It is a legitimate military target, and why is that? Because Hamas uses all, p- locates all of their offices, headquarters, their research and development, and all of their other military assets. If it's above ground, they locate themselves in civilian buildings. Adding to the complexity, Israel now faces attacks from its northern bordering territories, including both Lebanon and Syria. Israeli forces responded with artillery fire to both countries, according to a statement released by the IDF via the Jerusalem Post. However, on Wednesday, the new chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff for the U.S. said there were no other participants in the war.
5: I have not seen any indications of uh, additional players that uh, are going to get involved to the detriment of Israel. Uh, And this is one of the reasons we uh, addressed our force posture. It's not only in support of Israel, but it's also to deter future action.
2: The King of Jordan and the Crown Prince of Saudi Arabia have both expressed support for Palestine, calling the cause, quote, just. But it seems that residents in Gaza don't feel the support. No one
3: feels what we feel. No countries do. Not any Arab president nor the Saudi president. They are all liars. Those who say they stand with Gaza are liars. We do not blame the Jews. We place the blame on the corrupt Arab
2: regimes. Meanwhile, a shipment of ammunition from the U.S. arrived in Israel on Wednesday, according to the Israeli Ministry of Defense. This comes after President Biden on Tuesday pledged support for Israel and issued a warning to anyone who may try to take advantage of the situation. Jason Perry, NTD News.
1: And inside Israel, political unity amid the war with Hamas Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and opposition party leader Benny Gantz agreed yesterday to form an emergency government. It will exist until the end of the war. The two sides also agreed to form a war cabinet comprising Netanyahu, Gantz, who was a former defense minister, and incumbent defense minister Yoav Gallant. They will not promote unrelated policies or laws during the fighting with Hamas in Gaza.
0: Gaza's only power station has stopped working after fuel needed to generate electricity ran out. This comes two days
1: after Israel declared a complete blockade of Gaza in response to the Hamas attacks.
0: Israel said today that Gaza will not be provided with any electricity, water or fuel until Israeli hostages being held by Hamas are returned home. The Israeli energy minister wrote on X, humanitarian for humanitarian, and no one will preach as morals.
1: Many people in Gaza use generators for power. However, the fuel needed to run them isn't available. Palestinian health ministry officials said hospitals are likely to run out of fuel by today. They warned it would lead to catastrophic conditions.
0: The United Nations reports more than 200,000 Palestinians are displaced and that closing off water supplies will affect over 600,000 people and cause a drastic shortage of drinking water. And at least 22 U.S. citizens have now been confirmed dead in Israel. And President Joe Biden confirmed that Americans are among the hostages taken by Hamas as well. And 10, Daniel Monaghan, has more on the latest U.S. response to the ongoing war.
6: President Joe Biden had frank words about Israel and Iran Wednesday. Speaking to a roundtable with Jewish community leaders, Biden outlined the military action he is taking in the region. He said it is sending a message to Iran, which has a history of supporting Hamas. The president mentioned the U.S. carrier fleet that has arrived in the eastern Mediterranean and said the U.S. is sending more fighter jets there.
7: And made it clear, made it clear to the Iranians, be careful.
6: Hello, Joe. Biden also said he has spoken to Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and assured him more military aid was on the way. He said he urged the Prime Minister to be mindful in his military response. Meanwhile, National Security spokesperson John Kirby says another aircraft carrier, the USS Dwight D. Eisenhower, will also be arriving in the Mediterranean soon, that it is heading there on a pre-planned mission and will certainly be an available asset if needed.
1: We're sending a loud and clear message the United States is ready to take action should any actor hostile to Israel consider trying to escalate or widen this war.
6: One such actor Kirby mentioned is Hezbollah, adding that the U.S. has watched the rocket attacks coming across the northern border of Israel from Lebanon with concern. At the roundtable with Jewish community leaders, Biden said were there no Israel, no Jewish person in the world would be safe.
2: The miracle of Israel is Israel, it's Israel itself, the hope it inspires, the light it represents to the world.
6: And emphasized the need to oppose the Hamas terror. Silence is complicity. I refuse to be
2: silent. I know you refuse to be silent as well.
6: Biden and his team are grappling with how to gain the freedom of any potential American hostages held by Hamas, in addition to the 22 US citizens killed. The State Department confirmed that at least 17 Americans are missing. The State Department is also dealing with how to evacuate U.S. citizens from Israel who want to leave. It says it's exploring alternative options by air, land, or sea to nearby countries due to limited flights. Daniel Monahan, NTD News.
0: Multiple groups are threatening to attack American military bases.
1: That's if the U.S. gets involved in the fighting in Israel. This comes as an American aircraft carrier arrives in the region.
0: The head of Kataib Hezbollah said the group would direct qualitative strikes at the American enemy in its bases and disrupt its interests if it intervenes in this battle. The threats came just hours after an American warship arrived in the eastern Mediterranean. Kataib Hezbollah is an Iranian-backed militia founded in 2003. It's not the same as the Hezbollah, which was founded decades earlier.
1: The head of the Badr organization made similar threats to America this week. He said, if they intervene, we would intervene. We, we will consider all American targets legitimate. The Badr organization is a political and military group from Iraq. It's also aligned with Iran.
0: And we will hear later on as well that China's interests in the middle also plays a role in the Middle East. So I think things are getting quite messy here, but stay tuned to hear more about that.
1: There are definitely many axes at play here, and it makes sense that the United States is sending support there, given that Israel is one of its key allies in the region, and especially an intelligence-gathering source as well. Right. Right. So we're going to break now. Will House Majority Leader Steve Scalise have the support to become the next Speaker of the House? We spoke with Republican representatives to find out the consensus.
0: Former President Trump weighs in on the Israel-Hamas war. Hear his reaction from yesterday's rally in Florida.
1: A new development in the House probe into President Biden's handling of classified documents. The House Oversight Committee is looking for answers from the White House. Stay tuned. Welcome back. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has emerged as the GOP Speaker nominee. The Congressman defeated colleague Jim Jordan on the first ballot yesterday with a majority vote. NTD spoke with GOP representatives for outlooks on the upcoming floor vote.
3: House Majority Leader Steve Scalise emerged victorious as GOP Speaker nominee Wednesday in a 113-98 vote against Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan. Scalise's victory on the first ballot was in part owing to the rejection of a proposed rule change over concerns it might favor Jordan. The rule would have required a candidate to have 217 votes to secure the nomination. The amendment was meant to guarantee a speaker's election on one ballot and keep any party infighting behind closed doors.
8: That didn't prosper. So, okay, so now the understanding is that whomever wins the majority will be supported tomorrow on the floor.
3: Jordan says he will support Scalise and offer to give the nominee's speech for him. He's urging his colleagues to back Scalise too. It's
8: a critical time for the House of Representatives. We need a speaker
3: and Steve is the guy for that. Representative John Duarte told NTD's Molina Wisecup he will be supporting Scalise as soon as the vote comes to the floor. Remember, 96%
9: of the conference voted to keep Kevin McCarthy and I think that a similar number are committed to supporting Steve Scalise for speaker to get, get this beyond us.
3: A common stance among his colleagues.
6: I'm certainly supporting him on the
9: floor. I don't know that
10: it will go in round one, but I do not expect it to go multiple rounds. Well, I hope that
7: now we can all unite and come behind that person uh, and get back to the, the business at hand. We have to go in, we have to vote, and we have to win our speakership
3: on the majority. Others just like Representative Kevin Hearn see opportunity.
4: And because of that, because that has become vacant, I'm announcing I'm running for majority leader. You are. Right.
3: Congressman Thomas Massey says he's concerned about electing a speaker and planning for appropriations bills at the same time, and that it wouldn't be fair to hamstring the next speaker. He says Jordan has a great plan.
8: Uh, Jim Jordan said I would pass a clean CR before we get to that point, a long-term clean CR, and take shutdown off the table and keep doing our 12 separate bills.
3: The House speaker vote was scheduled for 3 p.m., but was called off. The Speaker pro tem is hoping to bring the vote to the floor Thursday. Scalise is expected to face Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries in the full House election. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
1: Next, we get some insight into the obstacles that may prevent a Speaker from being chosen. Joining us live is Lenny McAllister, a political analyst and senior fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation. Good morning, Lenny. It's great to speak with you again.
11: Good morning, Kevin.
1: So, what are some of the obstacles preventing Scalise from wielding the gavel?
11: Well, I, I think based even on the clips that we just heard, it's much of the same thing that Kevin McCarthy went through, which is you have a split conference. You have Republicans that are looking for two different things out of that speakership. And there's still going to be some ill feelings that are that are had, I mean, even in a clip you heard one of the congressmen say, well, I don't think it's going to go multiple rounds, but it may not go in the first round. Well, by very definition, it's either one or more than one. And if this starts going more than one round, what you're going to see is you're going to have a couple of hangers on, just like you had just a little bit ago, just last week, that will cause enough chaos to keep this going. I think there are still some ill feelings. I think there are people that still want certain things to be hammered out. I think there are still some negotiations that go on behind the scenes where there are going to be some Congress members that want certain things out of this process. And if that's not hammered out this morning, even as we speak, by the time they get to the floor, it's going to still play out on the floor and the Republicans are still going to have the mess they were trying to avoid behind the scenes before the vote between Scalise and Jordan.
1: So, Lenny, can you elaborate on this a little bit? You said it's the same thing as what McCarthy went through. Of course, we saw the House Freedom Caucus put up a lot of requirements in order to get him selected as Speaker, but what do you think is going to happen here?
11: Well, I think what ended up happening, even in this case with people said, we'll vote for whoever wins the nomination on the floor. We'll be united. We'll get to 217 and we'll move forward. Well, once they came out of the, the vote, You ended up seeing people saying, I still support Jim Jordan for Speaker of the House. There are still a little bit of horse trading that has to happen among a couple of uh, members of Congress that's going to have to get them across the finish line. People that are saying that, well, the Republicans don't want to be embarrassed. Hello, where are we at right now? They were embarrassed in January. They were embarrassed last week. What's the difference between those two incidences And now there are still some people in Congress that want very specific things. They want to see certain commitments when it comes to Ukraine and defunding that effort. They want to see certain commitments when it comes to Israel. They want to see certain commitments when it comes to the impeachment process with Joe Biden. And when you start talking about those things and this one opportunity to kind of pull the strings on that, all it takes is one or two Congress members to not want to let this go And you're going to have chaos because there's such a thin margin that the Republicans basically need to all line up. And we've already seen that the Democrats are not inclined to help the Republicans get through this. They're going to vote for Hakeem Jeffries again and again and again. So if this does not get cleared up this morning, you're going to see multiple rounds on the floor.
1: Yeah, of course, Democrats want their person in. Even Jim Jordan himself said that he would vote for Scalise, but at the same time, those who voted for Jordan don't feel this obligation to vote for Scalise. Can you unpack this?
11: Well, Jim Jordan's trying to take the higher road. This is what you're supposed to do, concede and and be a good teammate as a fellow Republican in the majority. He's trying to make sure that, one, he plays the role he needs to play while those that support him continue to support him. But as well, you gotta think about this as well. Many of these congressmen are in safe seats, but at the same exact time when there was supposed to be a red wave, they barely won the majority in the House of Representatives. They have to start thinking about next year, whether it's the presidential races, some of the key races in the Senate, and of course, races within their own chamber, because it's very, very likely that with these type of incidences happening with the Republicans, the Democrats will be in control in January 2025. This is a little bit of damage control that Jim Jordan and others have to make sure they're keeping in mind as they go through this process over the next day or so.
1: Yeah, they have to put forward at least the appearance of some sort of unity there. And we saw that red wave turn out just to be a red trickle in the midterms. But just 30 seconds here. Do you think that there is a critical need to get a speaker in place right now, given the crisis in Israel?
11: The world seems to be blowing up around us, particularly in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Absolutely. We need to seem united. If we don't, you're going to see that Russia's going to continue to take advantage of it. You're going to see that Hamas is going to continue to take advantage of it. And the last thing we need is to see China start to take advantage of this as well. We need unity within our federal government to have that presence around the world, that we are still the United States of America.
1: Lenny McAllister, it was great talking with you, political analyst and senior fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation.
11: Thank you for your time. Thank you. God bless.
0: As the world is watching what's unfolding in Israel, how could this impact the political climate in the U.S.? NTD spoke with a foreign affairs expert and former presidential campaign advisor who shared his thoughts on the foreign policy positions of current candidates.
7: Here's what he says. I think it's a boomerang because this started in the U.S. in many ways. The the policies of Barack Obama during his administration and now during the the biden administration they have favored iran over and over and over every time they had a chance iran has sold over 80 billion dollars of oil in the during the biden administration more than 3 times what they sold in all 4 years of the trump administration and the 6 billion dollars that they paid as ransom for the hostages last month was not even a very good tip on the 80 billion dollars And all that money has been spent arming Hamas, arming the the terrorists in Gaza, and and people are starting to put two and two together. They're looking at the nearly billion dollars in foreign aid that Biden has restored to the Palestinians after Trump cut it off. Because the Palestinians refused to make peace, he said, "No, no aid. You you don't recognize Israel, you don't make peace, there's no aid, and Biden restored it. Now, I think that we're gonna see, heaven forbid, we're gonna see some uh, attacks, maybe sabotage on industrial sites, maybe actual attacks against people here in the United States. Our border has been open for three years. I think we have a lot of Iranian sleeper agents in the United States, and I think that they're gonna be activated when Israel continues trying to take out Hamas and responding to attacks from Hezbollah, both of which are Iranian puppets.
1: A new development in the House probe into President Biden's handling of classified documents at the Penn Biden Center. The House Oversight Committee says the White House misled Congress about the timeline of events.
6: In a letter on Wednesday, House Oversight Committee Chairman James Comer said the committee obtained new information in its probe into the classified documents found at the Penn-Biden Center. He said the information contradicts what the White House and President Biden's personal attorney said about the discovery. According to the letter, the Biden White House first learned about the discovery of the documents in March 2021, but they claimed the documents were found in November 2022. Colmer said he learned that Biden used five White House employees, a Pentagon employee and Biden's personal attorneys to access and secure the documents. Colmer's letter reads, President Biden's timeline was incomplete and misleading. It omitted months of communications, planning and coordinating among multiple White House officials. The timeline also omitted multiple visits from at least five White House employees. The letter also alleges that there is no reasonable explanation why so many White House employees and lawyers were involved in retrieving boxes they believed only contained personal documents. The committee chairman is demanding answers from White House counsel Edward Siskel. He is also requesting interviews with the five White House employees involved in the case.
0: Well, interesting.
1: Yeah, both the former President Trump and President Biden are now being scrutinized over the handling of classified documents.
0: Right, but at the same time, uh, it seems like the U.S. has a ton of other issues going on that we need to keep an eye on, as Lenny McAllister and you have pointed out earlier as well. Um, Moving on to the next topic, the largest U.S. city on the Mexican border is struggling to keep up with the influx of illegal immigrants.
1: Now the shelters are so full that Border Patrol is releasing migrants onto the streets. Here are the details.
12: Over five years, San Diego developed a well-oiled system to shelter illegal immigrants. But that system has been tested like never before as U.S. Customs and Border Protection releases people to the streets of California's second largest city because shelters are full. Since September 13th, about 13,000 have been dropped off at transit stations, with about 500 more arriving daily.
11: Border Patrol is dropping off migrants that have been processed through their stations with court dates and reporting with immigration um, and customs enforcement at their final destination. So here we're receiving people that are ready to move on to um, apply for asylum um, in the court system and with immigration agencies
12: and just need to get to their final destination. Last week, after a community recreation center could no longer handle the flow of illegal immigrants, the Border Patrol resumed drop-offs at a transit center.
11: So here we are receiving asylum seekers that have been dropped off by Border Patrol um, in buses. Um, Today we received about 400 in the morning and we expect to have a few hundred more in the afternoon. We have seen many from um, West African countries. Um, We have also seen from China, Turkey, India, um, and the West African countries we have seen is Guinea, uh, Senegal, Sudan, um, and Mauritania as well
12: aid groups blame a mix of circumstances for the shelter crunch, reduced government funding, CBP's practice of sending migrants from Texas and Arizona to be processed in San Diego, and a surge in illegal crossings. And just last week, President Joe Biden's administration advanced plans for a border wall in Texas Rio Grande Valley and said they would resume deportation flights to Venezuela. CBP closed a major pedestrian border crossing from Tijuana, Mexico, on September 14th and assigned more officials to process incoming migrants. The Department of Homeland Security said last month that it has given $790 million for migrant shelters this year and asked Congress for an additional $600 million. On a weekly basis, CBP San Diego reports a summary of what they have encountered at the border. Last week, they seized 200 pounds of cocaine and 125 pounds of methamphetamine, detained 18 human smuggling events, made 56 rescues, and apprehended more than 7,600 from 74 countries. Illegal crossings topped a daily average of more than 8,000 last month. People from dozens of countries, notably Venezuela, were drawn by prospects of jobs and safety.
0: Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Secretary of State Antony Blinken just finished giving a joint briefing in Tel Aviv. Blinken delivered a message of support. Take a look.
5: The message that I bring to Israel is this. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists You will never, ever have to. We will always be there by your side. That's the message that President Biden delivered to the prime minister from the moment this crisis began. It's the message that I and my other colleagues in the government have delivered to our Israeli counterparts on a daily, even an hourly basis. It's the message that I bring with me to our discussions today And it's what I'll affirm when I meet with the members of Israel's newly formed National Emergency Government. We welcome the government's creation and the unity and resolve that it reflects across Israel's society. We're delivering on our word, supplying ammunition, interceptors, to replenish Israel's Iron Dome, alongside other defense material. First shipments of U.S. military support have already arrived in Israel, and more is on the way. Here in Israel and everywhere, we will reaffirm the crystal clear warning that President Biden issued yesterday to any adversary, state or non-state, thinking of taking advantage of the current crisis to attack Israel. Don't. The United States has Israel's back.
1: Still to come, China's refusal to condemn Hamas is causing international concern. What did China say? We have the answer coming up.
0: Welcome back. China's silence about Hamas attacks on Israel is causing concern about the CCP's role in the Middle East politics.
1: An official state newspaper printed an article warning the U.S. about interfering with China and Taiwan, saying China will then mess with Israel.
0: Chinese leader Xi Jinping's recent meeting with Mideast leaders has gained international attention. China supports the establishment of a Palestinian state and said they are concerned about escalating tensions between Israel and Palestine. However, no clear condemnation of Hamas terrorist attacks.
1: When Israel asked China to officially denounce the attacks, the CCP's foreign ministry refused. Officials from the Palestinian Ministry of Foreign Affairs thanked China for its long-term support of Palestine and said Palestine trusts the CCP.
0: And China has long-standing history with the Palestine Liberation Organization. So we want to dive deeper into China's interest in that region. We're bringing in Antonio Graceffo. He's a China analyst and author of Beyond the Belt and Road, China's Global Economic Expansion. Good morning, Antonio. It's really good to have you. I want to start by uh, talking about that long relationship there between china and the plo which seems surprising because china's communist regime is atheist also their uh the oppression of the uyghurs their muslim faith so tell me more about what mao back then about Mao's close relationship with arafat the founder of the plo what was it based on
13: well uh china and russia both uh tried to gain friends in the early days of the anti-colonialist movement say in the 50s and 60s that they would recognize these anti-colonialists Movements and say to them, you know, we, we overthrew our emperor, we overthrew our um, you know nationalistic government, and we support other people that are doing the same. So China was one of the first countries to engage directly with and support the PLO.
0: Hmm. And now China, uh, moving on to today, China has been taking on a more diplomatic role in the Middle East. There, so what are you seeing um, brokering peace really uh, peace deals for for example? So what do you see is China's interest there now?
13: China's attempt to broker a peace deal between uh, Israel and Palestine just uses the same uh, blueprint that has been used before or proposed before to Israel, has been rejected because it calls for Israel to uh, move their capital um, away from Jerusalem, and uh, Israel will never agree to that. So China probably knew going in that Israel would not agree. However, by attempting to make that agreement, it makes China look like the good guys. China is able to say, look, we proposed this peaceful solution and Israel rejected it therefore Israel is the bad guy
0: right and that was not the only uh, thing they tried to do there was also the Saudi and Iran peace deal. what do you think there what do you think does it how do you think does that fit into China's overall um, strategy there
13: the Saudi Iran deal is, uh, is significant because Iran is not Arab the, the people are Persian. And so they're always a bit outside. There's the uh, Sunni-Shia divide in the Middle East. So Iran's always kind of the wild card. Uh, Iran hates uh, Israel, but then Iran also doesn't get along with some of its Arab neighbors. And so the hope was that if she could bring Saudi Arabia and Iran together, then she could begin to build a coalition of Muslim nations centered around China. And this was to counter the Abraham Accords which was a US-led deal trying to bring the Arab nations in alliance with Israel.
0: Seems interesting that they're getting in bed with somebody that is trying to destroy the Muslim faith in their own country. But um, let's talk about the US in this case. How would that reflect, or how would that impact the US?
10: Well,
13: I think that if China is successful, but I don't believe they will be, I think China's plan would be to have Iran on China's side, which it is already, because China buys oil from Iran, and China bypasses sanctions, provides money to Iran. Iran then funds Hamas, and I think that China would like to have Iran on their side, get the other Arab states onto their side uh, by supporting uh, Palestinian um, independence. They're building points, they're building uh, cachet with the other Arab states saying, look how, how we support you. So they're hoping to get all those guys onto China's side, and then that would leave just the United States and Israel on the other side.
0: Mm. Wow. And then talking about Hamas here, what is China's relationship with that group? Or maybe phrased differently, what's behind China's silence there on the Hamas attack?
13: Well, China's silence is because China wants to show that they are a friend of the Muslim people, even though they're committing a genocide in Xinjiang. Nearly all of the world's Muslim-majority countries are signatories to the Belt and Road. And they've all remained silent on the Xinjiang issue. So by supporting Palestine, uh, China uh, presents itself to the world as a champion of Muslim causes, trying to help the Muslim people. And again, the best way to do this was by isolating Israel. It's a hard sell to get the other Arab nations to agree to go on the same side as Israel. So, so allowing Hamas to do this horrible attack on Israel makes it impossible for Israel and Palestine to have peace. Which then means that uh, it will be easier for China to say, look, let's just ignore Israel and we'll have a, an Arab alliance or, or a Muslim alliance, which would include, of course, Iran then.
0: Hmm. So we have one more minute and I want to touch on a little bit um, of a different. We're zooming out a little bit. So, what relationship do we see is forming right now between China, Russia, and Iran since we have been, uh, that has been in the news as well. So, how are they able to help each other here in each other's interests?
13: The issue is that we place economic sanctions on these countries that behave badly in terms of not following the international uh, rules led order. The problem then is that they trade with each other. They find ways around the sanctions. They're already under sanctions. Uh, they're already uh, prevented from using US dollars. So then this drives them into trading with each other, trading using Yuan, uh, supporting China. So basically, you have uh, Iran, you have. Um, Russia, you have China, you will you wind up with um, Afghanistan, various sanctioned countries, North Korea, uh, forming basically an axis. But this mm. is because of the sanctions placed on them by Western nations.
0: Right. Very concerning things there, uh, developments there. So thank you so much, Antonio Graceffa, for giving us uh, an insight on this.
13: Thank you for having me.
0: And now we are heading to Jane Worrell in the UK for some short headlines from around the world.
14: Morning, Evelyn and Kevin. The German government is promising to crack down on support for Hamas and to ban a pro-Palestinian group, which has been organizing protests in Germany. The Chancellor also questioned the lack of a clear condemnation of the Hamas attack by Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas, calling it shameful. The wife of Scotland's leader has said she feels like she's just living in a nightmare after her parents became trapped in Gaza. The parents of Nadia El Nakhla travelled there last week to visit relatives. She's concerned they will not survive, run out of food or be attacked by Israeli forces. French police have arrested more than 20 people over dozens of anti-Semitic acts carried out since Saturday. Those include harassment of Jewish children by fellow pupils at school. The Interior Minister said some 10,000 police are protecting 500 Jewish sites. The head of Australia's domestic intelligence agency called for calm ahead of a planned, unauthorized pro-Palestinian protest. He warned about opportunistic violence as tensions rise In response to the Israel-Hamas war, it comes after a group were filmed chanting "gas the Jews outside the Sydney Opera House. Russian President Vladimir Putin has arrived in Kyrgyzstan on an official state visit. It's his first known trip abroad since the International Criminal Court issued a warrant for his arrest. The Russian leader is also due to travel to China next week. Neither Kyrgyzstan nor China are members of the court.
0: That's all from me. Back to you both. Thank you, Jane.
1: A lot of arrests in Germany.
0: Yeah, and um, extensive security measures there. But I I have to say, I think the Germans, they will feel like they owe the Jewish people something in that case, right? Um,
1: Yeah, the setting of the Holocaust being in Germany.
0: Right, exactly. And um, at the same time, it's very concerning to see all these anti-Semitism rise up again. Um, everywhere in the country, not just Germany. So,
1: Yeah, and something more to look out for is that the pro-Palestinian rally groups are actually saying that they will not be silenced and that they will continue despite the crackdown. Right. So stay with us. The Fed has released the details of their September policy meeting. Are more interest rate hikes on the way? We take a closer look for you. It's good to have you back with us. How do Federal Reserve officials feel about the future interest rate hikes?
0: Minutes from the Federal Reserve's September policy meeting were released yesterday. Here with us live to discuss is NTD business host Don Ma. Hi. Hi there, Don. Give us the highlights of what was said in the Fed minutes.
4: Yeah, sure, Evelyn. Um, But first, let me just mention that, uh, you know, even though these are called the minutes of the Fed meeting, uh, it's actually not a transcript of every little thing that was said at the meeting by Fed officials. So what the minutes are actually is a carefully curated version of what the the Fed wants us to see, uh, because it needs to push a certain rhetoric for the markets and for the public to make them feel a certain way. So all that being said, um, what was revealed in the minutes w- was that a majority of officials actually feel that uh, one more interest rate hike uh, would be enough in this current hiking cycle, uh, you know, which is good news because that means the Federal Reserve is basically done with hikes, uh, uh, that they feel interest rates are sufficiently high. So, so I guess now the question is, how long are they going to keep interest rates at this level? And some officials said that How fast inflation cools in the coming months will determine how long uh, rates remain elevated. So that's just some key points here.
0: Mm, Very interesting points, because that would mean also that the historic series of rate hikes um, would come to an end. What has been the impact of those hikes on the economy?
4: Yeah, you know, high interest rates, without a doubt, uh, have an impact on the economy. I mean, just look at the housing market, right? High interest rates have actually dramatically slowed down activity there. And you know, Evelyn, credit is the lifeblood of the economy. And when you make credit more expensive, you're basically increasing the risk of a financial crisis. Now, I say financial crisis, but the crisis can be big. It can be small as well. And it could be in different sectors of the economy. Um, But, you know, if we look at history, Basically, every time the Fed uh, has raised interest rates like this, a recession has followed. Now, it, it, I'm, I'm not saying that there will be a recession, but you know, is, is it a matter of time, though, that we see one? So we just have to wait and see uh, what happens. Well,
0: thank you so much, Don, for these updates. What, do you, what else do you have for us today?
4: Yeah, let me just mention something else. Uh, The U.S. Energy Information Administration forecasts lowering uh, heat costs for many Americans this winter. So if you live in the western United States or heat with gas, you're one of the roughly 55% who will get a break on your winter heating bill. Uh, The rest of Americans can expect similar heating costs compared to last year. Uh, Weather predictions of a colder Northeast may cause slightly higher prices due to more heating days. Um, but another thing is the UAW ordered its members at the Ford truck assembly plant in Kentucky to walk off the job yesterday. The plant is Ford's largest uh, plant globally, employing over 8,000 workers. Uh, the UAW says the strike results from Ford's r- refusal to go further into contract bargaining. So the Kentucky, Kentucky plant uh, builds Ford super duty trucks, uh, Lincoln Navigators, and Ford Expedition SUVs. The strike may uh, negatively affect Ford's profits. Uh, But other than these two updates, that's all from me, Evelyn.
0: Well, the heating cost break is good news. That could potentially save some lives, right? So thank you so much, Don Ma.
4: And Don, before we
1: let you go, you know, I find it interesting that the Fed is raising these rates, but the banks that offer these interest rates on their savings accounts, they haven't followed suit. I wonder, you know, why do people feel like they're not getting taken advantage of when they can see this very clearly?
4: Uh, are you talking about the interest rates from uh, savings accounts that the yeah. banks offer?
1: Yeah, because usually when you know the Fed raises the rates, these interest rates go up, but it's only averaging at about one percent. That's just pennies.
4: Well, you know, you have to look around. There are some uh, some places that offer you know four percent returns on your savings. Um, you know, not, not all banks do that, but, you know, there are certainly places where you can find higher interest rates uh, on, on your savings. You know, you just have to know where to look.
1: That is a good point. Yeah, you got to shop around. Good tips for us, Don. And, you know, it's nothing like the 8% that they saw in the 80s under Reagan, but hopefully those will bounce back up.
4: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you can always buy some treasuries at a, at a, at a historic high um, recently, in fact. Huh. Great good tips. To know. Yes. Thank you, Thank you so you. much, Don Mahos
1: yep. of NTD Business. Good talking to you. Thank you. And still to come, we hear from an Israeli woman who was kidnapped and tortured by members of the Hamas terrorist group in 2010. She describes her harrowing ordeal.
0: And some Harvard students are now changing course after blaming Israel for the Hamas attack. Find out why after this short break. Good to have you back. Harvard student groups are now withdrawing signatures from a statement on Israel that's after it sparked strong backlash.
1: Several business leaders suggested blacklisting the students so they wouldn't be hired by top Wall Street firms. After billionaire Bill Ackman asked for the names to be released, multiple student organizations withdrew their signatures. The letter called Israel an apartheid regime. It blamed Israel for the Hamas terrorist attacks and called Gaza an open-air prison.
0: 33 Harvard student organization in organizations initially co-signed the letter. Now at least five groups reportedly withdrew their signatures. A Harvard student spoke out on the controversy surrounding the student group's letter and the war in Israel.
1: JJ Kimhi is a doctoral student in Jewish history. Take a look. The butchery,
10: the savagery, the kidnapping, the rape, the sheer gleeful joy at machine gunning whole Jewish families, and we think, surely every student every teacher no matter their political affiliation should condemn this should find this so horrific they can barely open their mouths and what do we find fellow students at harvard excusing this justifying this and on other campuses as worse university of california berkeley they were celebrating this they think this is a great idea and a great event
0: Kim He was deeply troubled by the reaction of his fellow colleagues and students to the murder of Jewish families. The doctoral student doesn't feel the Harvard campus is a safe place right now for Jewish people.
1: Kim he was also disappointed by what he sees as the administration's lukewarm response.
10: I was on the Harvard campus back in the horrible chapter of the killing of George Floyd. If even one group would have justified that, if even one group would have said, oh, this is a good thing, this is a good idea, we're behind it all hell would have broken loose for good reason, right? They would have been defunded, probably students expelled. Definitely the the president would have written something much more strong. And we Jewish students find 31 student groups excusing the mass murder of Jews. And the Harvard administration's response is, uh, you know, weak at best.
0: Kim He says any students or student group leaders who signed such a letter have proven they have a completely broken moral compass. He says making excuses for mass slaughter of Jews is appalling.
1: The doctoral student believes that Harvard should address the hatred on their campus and reflect on what in their education system has led to this and why their students are taking courses with their professors and coming to the conclusion that the mass slaughter of Jewish people is an acceptable price to achieve their political goals.
0: Yeah, highly concerning everything, really. And because we just interviewed, um, we had an angle on China, it just reminds me, you know, this kind of idea, it's actually a Marxist idea that the oppressors are the ones that force the oppressed into these acts of violence and crime and that they basically can push away this kind of responsibility. So that's an interesting angle to think about it as well.
1: Yes. And speaking of China, we're going to delve into a little bit of the red-green alliance, sort of the play between the radical Islamists and the communists with our expert Trevor Loudon in just a moment.
0: Right. Um, And so with this, we are kicking off our second part of the broadcast right now. As another aircraft carrier heads to the Mediterranean, President Biden has some stern words for Iran and an Iranian-backed militia threatens assaults on U.S. military bases. We have the details.
1: What is the Red-Green Alliance and what role might it be playing in Middle East violence? We speak to a seasoned researcher of communist subversion to explore devious relationships running alongside the recent attack on Israel.
0: GOP presidential hopeful Tim Scott sounds off about the Hamas attacks. Hear his remarks on a pro-Palestine rally.
1: Welcome back. And to those of you just joining us, good morning. I'm Kevin Hogan.
0: Good morning. Also for me, I'm Evelyn Lee. And for our top news, let's look at the latest developments in the Israel-Hamas war.
1: The Israeli Defense Forces said today that the families of 97 hostages taken from Israel by Hamas have been informed that they are being held in Gaza.
0: Iran's foreign ministers is set to visit Lebanon, home to terrorist group Hezbollah. That's during a tour of the Middle East that starts today. Iran's ambassador to Lebanon said on X, the trip is in light of the current events in Palestine.
1: Israel's defense forces say a large-scale strike targeting Hamas will be conducted in Gaza today. The conflict is entering its sixth day.
0: Meanwhile, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu and Secretary of State Antony Blinken just finished a joint briefing in Tel Aviv. Netanyahu thanked Blinken and said, quote, Your visit is another tangible example of America's unequivocal support for Israel. Here's Secretary Blinken.
5: The message that I bring to Israel is this. You may be strong enough on your own to defend yourself, but as long as America exists, you will never ever have to. We will always be there by your side. That's the message that President Biden delivered to the prime minister from the moment this crisis began. It's the message that I and my other colleagues in the government have delivered to our Israeli counterparts on a daily, even an hourly basis. It's the message that I bring with me to our discussions today, and it's what I'll affirm when I meet with the members of Israel's newly formed national emergency government. We welcome the government's creation and the unity and resolve that it reflects across Israel's society. We're delivering on our word, supplying ammunition, interceptors to replenish Israel's Iron Dome, alongside other defense material first shipments of U.S. military support have already arrived in Israel, and more is on the way. Here in Israel and everywhere, we will reaffirm the crystal-clear warning that President Biden issued yesterday to any adversary, state or non-state, thinking of taking advantage of the current crisis to attack Israel. Don't. The United States has Israel's back.
0: Blinken added that the American death toll in Israel has risen to at least 25 people.
1: Israeli tanks and troops are gathering in southern Israel. More than 300,000 Israeli reservists have been called up as the country prepares for a possible ground operation in response to the surprise terrorist attack by Hamas on Saturday. Here's the story. At a military
8: base in southern Israel, columns of Israeli Merkava 4 tanks stand at the ready awaiting orders for an invasion of Gaza that everyone expects, but no one has yet commanded. This is a country on a war footing. The Israeli military has called up more than 300,000 reservists. It is one of the largest mobilization efforts in this country's history. And this right here behind me is that mobilization effort in action. You are witnessing thousands of reservists, Israelis from all across the country, coming to this military base in southern Israel to begin to prepare for the next phase of this military campaign. But it's not just the scale that makes this mobilization different. I've been in all the campaigns in the last 30 years. Never, la- never something like this. For the soldiers converging on this base, the shocking brutality of Hamas's surprise terrorist attacks is still reverberating. Every person is well.
11: There's lost someone.
8: Every person.
2: Been in Amsterdam till till Wednesday morning uh, till. Uh, Uh, Monday morning I came here you know to enlist to the army and to fight those bastards. it's a very emotional moment
10: a very emotional moment yes when you see children die and keep nothing it's it's like an animal it's not
8: driving down roads east of the Gaza Strip preparations for the next phase of Israel's military campaign are everywhere trucks loaded with ammunition armored vehicles thousands of israeli soldiers mobilizing and just seven miles from the gaza border this formation of armored personnel carriers. We are about a dozen kilometers from the Gaza border, about six or seven miles. And what we are seeing here are the preparations for what many people in Israel believe is going to happen next, and that is the possibility of a ground invasion. You can see here uh, armored personnel carriers, perhaps nearly two dozen of those, as well as trucks, uh, and you see soldiers all here uh, preparing for the next phase of this war.
1: And we're going to do a brief investigation of the so called Red Green Alliance surrounding the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel, red being communists and green being radical Islamists. Let's hear from Trevor Loudon, an Epic Times contributor and author of The Enemies Within. Good morning, Trevor. It's great to have you with us.
9: Oh, always good. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me.
1: So, what is the Red Green Alliance, and is it a driving force behind the Hamas terrorist attacks on Israel?
9: I think it is the major force. Now we we see it play out in the streets of America, where where Communist Party USA, Democratic Socialist of America, Freedom Road Socialist Organization, Party for Socialism Liberation, have participated with with Palestinian supporters in major rallies across the United States and and come you know all, all across the West, we've seen this phenomenon, this alliance of the communists and the radical Islamists. But it goes right back it, um you know, the Soviet Union used um, the P- Palestine Liberation Organization and Hamas as proxies in their war against the West and their war against Israel. But that policy never changed with the fall of the Soviet Union. The, the Russians are still very actively involved with the Taliban, very actively involved with Hamas, Hamas has been to Moscow three times in the last year. And and since these atrocities have been committed, have publicly claimed that Moscow is with them, that Moscow sympathizes with them.
1: Those are very interesting revelations, Trevor. Let's continue to look at the big picture here. Analysts are saying that in the 75 years of Israel's existence, they have never seen anything like this recent terrorist attack by Hamas, and it equates to their 9-11, and if you remember, of course, the United States launched a 20-year war after its 9-11. So why are Communist Party groups within Israel and around the world condemning the Israeli response here?
9: Well, because this is, as your commentator said before, as your partner there said before, it's a commun- you know, the to, to a, a Marxist, you know, the oppressor is always, the oppressed is always in the right. So this is, you know, the police are brutal. Therefore criminals are, you know, criminals are only doing what they're forced to do. So therefore we shouldn't prosecute crime. We should let criminals out of jail. Well, this is the same with the with the uh, terrorists the terrorists are only forced to do what they do by the israeli oppressors so we should stand with the poor terrorists because it's not their fault it's the fault of is Isra- of israel it's the fault of the the oppressing nation so this is a basic marxist way of looking at the world we see it playing out in the lack of criminal enforcement in the United States. And we're seeing it playing out here with sympathy for the terrorists, not for the victims.
1: It is very hard to sympathize with people who come down on motorized paragliders and start spraying bullets into crowds, killing people at a music festival. You talk about ideology here, Trevor. Are there similarities between communism's call for violent revolution and radical Islamist use of heinous killings to gain power?
9: Look, very much so that they, they are natural allies in this, They're both. Uh, but but I, I would say this, you know, Islamic terrorism would not exist in the, in the form that we see it without the backing of their communist or neo-communist allies. The 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 Soviet Union, China um, and Iran, which is basically a proxy of the Soviet Union, most of Iran's leaders trained at the Patrice Lumumba school in Moscow, they are very loyal to Moscow, that the, the wouldn't, we wouldn't be seeing what we're seeing without logistic support, moral support, and financial support from, from the communist bloc, you know, and, and, or, or the neo-communist bloc, I should say. So, yeah, it, it's, what we see is Islamic terrorism, terrorism is basically a front,
1: communism speaking of communism communist china has not overtly condemned the terrorist attack by hamas why do you think that is
9: well because they are sympathetic you know china has deep relationships with um with with iran and they're trying to cultivate more deep relationships with saudi arabia and other countries they may be persecuting their own muslim minorities So that's a sensitive issue too. But um, they are are, are on the side of the terrorists. And they're saying Israel should now declare a ceasefire. So Israel is supposed to accept massive slaughter in their own territory and not retaliate because the Chinese say they should hold a ceasefire. Well, who does that benefit? That's only going to benefit the terrorists because that's who the Chinese Communist Party sympathizes with and actively supports.
1: It's right out of the playbook and if you remember the documentary Agenda, it's that the communists will push their ideology and they'll get some policies passed and then they will call everyone, they'll just back off when everyone starts yeah. and they'll keep pushing it. So do communists and terrorists have a common goal and does the Hamas attack serve to further that cause?
9: Look, a hundred percent, you know, this is rallying revolutionary forces all around the world. It is also taking um, pressure off Russia's war in Ukraine because Russians are, are suffering badly there. And so this is now diverting attention away from that. And what they're trying to use this for is to undermine Western support for Ukraine, saying, no, we can't afford to... to we've got to support Israel, but Ukraine is too much, you know? And we've already seen pressure from some American politicians along these lines. So this was re- this is really a second front. And I think the third front may be um, some attacks within America itself, or certainly in other Western countries. And uh, we, we've already heard calls for, for a, a global j- day of jihad this Friday the 13th uh, to, for attacks on Jews, terrorist inc- incidents, and um, rallies for Palestine all over the world, backed in every country by the, co- by the local communist parties.
1: Well, thank you so much for bringing a lot of clarity to this issue. Trevor Loudon, Epic Times contributor and author of The Enemies Within.
9: Thank
0: you so much. Very interesting historical insight. And I just wanted to add, since we were talking about radical Islam in the beginning, the terror attacks that are happening, there, has been, there have been BBC reports that say that the big majority of victims that these terror attacks, the lives that these terror attacks claim are still Muslim.
1: Yeah, the Palestinians them- themselves.
0: Right, and also, you know, in Muslim different countries, you know, Afghanistan. You know, they're, they're, it's just, um, maybe it's good to look into again, but it's a huge percentage um, that is made up of Muslim, Muslim lives, basically.
1: Yeah, and a historical context here, Said Qutub, he's the one that actually is claimed to be the marks of Islamic extremism. He's the one that derived these sort of ideologies, and he's the one that started this whole movement.
0: Yeah, incredible. It's a whole new world that opens up right now there to understand better. Um, And in the wake of the Hamas attack on Israel, we hear from a woman who in 2010 was kidnapped and tortured by members of the Hamas terrorist group. NTD's Kost Menes has the story.
15: Tal Hartouf is a British-born Jewish-Israeli. 13 years ago, she survived a vicious attack by Hamas terrorists, as she was showing an American friend around Israel.
16: I'm a Jewish, Israeli, British born, and I was guiding an American Christian friend as a tour guide in Israel, in the state of Israel, not outside, you know, some dodgy or disputed territory. Beautiful day. And we were pounced on on, when we were hiking by two Palestinian Hamas machete-wielding terrorists. And they hide, uh, hold us uh, hostage for half an hour uh, in the forest with their knives at their our throats.
15: Her ordeal can only be described as harrowing.
16: They tie our hands behind our back. They gag us. They take off my star of David. They separate us by two meters, and then they say in Arabic, Alu and Itbahu Aliud, Slaughter the Jews, and there, the next thing I know, I'm on my side, and one of them is leaning on me. And every time he plunges his machete into me, I can hear my bones crunch.
15: Tal said the terrorist assumed that her American Christian friend was also Jewish. She said that all she could do was play dead, while her friend was butchered right in front of her. Her friend did not survive the attack. According to Tal, the terrorist's only motivation was to kill Jews.
16: When we were about to be attacked, I told you, they said, they said the slaughter of the Jews. They didn't say free Palestine. This isn't about Palestine. The the continuous onslaught of Islamic terrorism has always been about the people of the book. First we come for the Jews and then we come to the Christians.
15: Now in light of the recent massacre by Hamas on Israeli civilians, Tal said much of the media have a lot to answer for.
16: I think that some of this mainstream media who are allowing a platform for people who are justifying and rationalizing these atrocities and crimes against humanity is an absolute disgrace in their order to balance out the narrative. They're not our friends. It doesn't matter how much they pontificate about poor Jews getting murdered.
15: She added that despite the White House's stance on supporting Israel, they are inadvertently still assisting the terrorists.
16: The American government, your taxpayers' money, for years has been funding the Palestinian authority who are rewarding the people who attacked me and who have murdered an American Christian. They're rewarding these murderers with a monthly salary. So on the one hand, you can't be outraged and shocked when you're still financing these people.
15: In Tal's view, fighting harder is the only chance the Jewish people have for survival. As she feels that Israel is the only state that will ever offer any protection to the Jews. Kostam NS, NTD News.
1: Coming up, House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has secured the GOP's Speaker nomination, but does he have the votes to win the gavel? We spoke with a political analyst to get some insights, so stay tuned. Good to have you back with us and good morning again. House Majority Leader Steve Scalise has emerged as the GOP Speaker nominee. The Congressman defeated colleague Jim Jordan on the first ballot yesterday with a majority vote. NTD spoke with GOP representatives for outlooks on the upcoming floor vote.
3: House Majority Leader Steve Scalise emerged victorious as GOP Speaker nominee Wednesday in a 113-98 vote against Judiciary Committee Chair Jim Jordan. Scalise's victory on the first ballot was in part owing to the rejection of a proposed rule change over concerns it might favour Jordan. The rule would have required a candidate to have 217 votes to secure the nomination. The amendment was meant to guarantee a speaker's election on one ballot and keep any party infighting behind closed doors. Jordan says he will support Scalise and offer to give the nominee speech for him. He's urging his colleagues to back Scalise too. It's a critical time for
8: the House of Representatives to need a speaker, and Steve is the guy for that.
3: Representative John Duarte told NTD's Molina Wisecup he will be supporting Scalise as soon as the vote comes to the floor.
9: Remember, 96% of the conference voted to keep Kevin McCarthy. And I think that a similar number are committed to supporting Steve Scalise for speaker to get, get this beyond us.
3: A common stance among his colleagues.
6: I'm certainly supporting him on the floor.
3: I don't know that it will go in round one, but I do not expect
10: it to go multiple rounds.
3: The House Speaker vote was scheduled for 3 p.m., but was called off. The Speaker pro tem is hoping to bring the vote to the floor Thursday. Scalise is expected to face Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries in the full House election. Jeremy Sandberg, NTD News.
1: To get some insight into the obstacles that may prevent a speaker from being chosen, I spoke with Lenny McAllister, a political analyst and senior fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation. What are some of the obstacles preventing Scalise from wielding the gavel?
11: Well, I I think based even on the clips that we just heard, it's much of the same thing that Kevin McCarthy went through, which is you have a split conference, you have Republicans that are looking for two different things out of that speakership, and there's still going to be some ill feelings that are that are had i mean even in a clip you heard one of one of the congressmen say well i don't think it's going to go multiple rounds but it may not go in the first round well by very definition it's either one or more than one and if this starts going more than one round what you're going to see is you're going to have a couple of hangers on just like you had just a little bit ago just last week that will cause enough chaos to keep this going I think there are still some ill feelings. I think there are people that still want certain things to be hammered out. I think there are still some negotiations that go on behind the scenes where there are going to be some Congress members that want certain things out of this process. And if that's not hammered out this morning, even as we speak, by the time they get to the floor, it's going to still play out on the floor. And the Republicans are still going to have the mess they were trying to avoid behind the scenes before the vote between Scalise and Jordan.
1: Yeah, they have to put forward at least the appearance of some sort of unity there. And we saw that red wave turn out just to be a red trickle in the midterms. But just 30 seconds here. Do you think that there is a critical need to get a speaker in place right now, given the crisis in Israel?
11: The world seems to be blowing up around us, particularly in Israel and the Gaza Strip. Absolutely. We need to seem united. If we don't, you're going to see that Russia's going to continue to take advantage of it. You're going to see that Hamas is going to continue to take advantage of it. And the last thing we need is to see China start to take advantage of this as well. We need unity within our federal government to have that presence around the world, that we are still the United States of America.
1: Lenny McAllister, it was great talking with you. Political analyst and senior fellow with the Commonwealth Foundation, thank you for your time.
11: Thank you. God bless.
1: Former President Trump, speaking in West Palm Beach, Florida, reacted to the Hamas terrorist attacks. The 2024 presidential candidate touted his past record and policies on Israel and the Middle East. Here's Trump yesterday.
6: After so many years of beheadings, bedlam, slaughter in the Middle East, we completely obliterated the ISIS territorial caliphate, and we did it in a matter of weeks. I withdrew from the disastrous Iran nuclear deal and imposed the toughest ever sanctioned on the murderous Iranian regime. They never had it so bad. We decimated their finance and choked off the money to pay to the terrorist thugs. And look what happened now. I was also proud to be the best friend Israel has ever had in the White House.
1: Trump also talked about possible intelligence and security failures. He says Israel needs to straighten things out because they are potentially fighting a very big force, including Iran.
0: Senator Tim Scott, a GOP presidential contender, condemned people attending pro-Palestine rallies. He spoke with reporters in Des Des Moines, Iowa. He deemed their support unconscionable behavior.
10: I think they're disgusting, to be simple. I can't understand how anyone would show up at a pro-rally when in fact what you're showing up to is is the consequence of the beheading of babies.
0: Yeah, we're seeing a lot of emotions about this topic and of course um, like we just heard, right, Um, we had a lot of China topics, we had um, Trevor Loudon on communism and um, driving wedges and dividing the country is one of those big uh, things in Marxism, right? So we, I hope there has been a lot of driving wedges, but I hope this is a time of unity.
1: Well, yes, and this conflict in the Middle East, it, of course, traces back to biblical times. And even now in the modern day, both sides lay claim to the land. And I think there's a clear distinction to be made between Palestinians voicing their concerns about maybe Israeli policies that are damaging the Palestinian economy versus actually supporting terrorism, which is to, not at all to be con- condoned.
0: Good input. Thank you. And um, we have to wrap up our show at this point now, um, but we'll keep you updated with the latest information on the war. Stay tuned for our news today broadcast at 12 p.m. Eastern Time. Thanks for watching. I'm Evelyn Lee.
1: And I'm Kevin Hogan.